Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where we're going to bring you over the next 20 minutes or so our thoughts on uh, three topic areas of the moment in the hotel and investment space. Uh, my name is Chris Bowne, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined, as usual, by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. Now, in a moment, we've got uh, some more thoughts on uh, company results. It's still result season, but we're going to start with something a bit different because we both went along last week to the uh, inaugural annual conference of the Energy and Environment Alliance in London to hear uh, more about what the industry can is and should be doing to uh, enhance its green credentials. The conference was a, a, a good mix of different topic areas which all come under the ESG uh, banner and uh, was, was launched uh, very vibrantly by an address from Lord Deben who uh, was once John Gummer, uh, the Environment Secretary in the UK Government. Um, and he put the point that uh, you know any business that thinks it's sustainable has to be getting to the beat on all of this stuff because unless you get to it and work out how to make money while still doing what needs to be done then you're not actually ultimately going to be long-term sustainable. There was plenty to talk about, uh, lots of issues around things like how to reduce your uh, your carbon intensity by reducing your energy use, water use and so on. Um, some big warnings for those who own hotels that if you just keep taking the rent from something with thin thin walls and single glazed windows uh, you may find actually in, in 10 years time it's not worth very much at all and in fact may even have a negative value. Um, warnings for those who are getting involved in uh, building and refurbishing hotels that actually these days you're going to need to think all the way through the carbon journey of all those components you put into the buildings. Uh, how recyclable are they? Um, and uh, you know how, what's going to go to the landfill how many skips are you going to chuck out uh, when you do a refurb all those sort of issues um, and then the whole uh, area of green finance we heard from HSBC who are very keen to basically ensure that anyone they lend money to now in the hotel sector has a plan has a plan to reduce things and uh, uh, setting out on the journey um, the other big issue which uh, the EEA is working on with uh, the building research establishment is how to actually measure that journey so it's all very well declaring that you're going to get to carbon zero by 2030 but what does that actually mean and uh, how can you prove it how can you measure it and uh, how can you uh, mark your steps along the way um, that's all being worked out at the moment and maybe one day before it's too very long we'll have a kind of a sector-wide uh, metric for for measuring uh, how you reduce carbon in your hotels uh, but for now the message was don't sit around and wait for that measuring stick to appear get on uh, there are very many ways of counting uh, positive contributions towards reducing your carbon intensity so uh, get on with it um andrew what are your takeaways from the day yeah no i i think very much um along the same lines as you there chris um uh, i i think the first thing to say if there was ever any doubt about whether the whole esg thing um is kind of like csr was which was frankly a bit of a fad um esg is not a fad it is a real thing um and as you've just touched on there the the challenge is that it's is around measuring the thing um and i think there's uh 
you know, if, in, in the sort of management cliche, if you can't uh, measure it, you can't manage it. And we're still in the early foothills of this this evolution of the whole approach. Um, but we're beginning to get the first signs of being able to properly measure it. And I think what the EEA represents is a very sensible contribution to the, the whole process in that we, um, when I say we, the collective um, hospitality sector, needs to stand up and um, get involved in defining how things are measured and the EEA is very much in the, the forefront of that and helping get some sensible ways to sort of um, be able to record what's going on in terms of carbon use in particular so I think I think this is uh, you know clearly a, a, a good thing to be doing um, but I mean it quite uh, you know how far you go with this is 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 in, is quite tricky because you know as HSBC admitted the the actual discount you're getting for your finance is pretty modest um, and um, well an interesting aspect they they talked about was how that if you manage to bre breach the undertakings you make with regard to uh, uh, being green um, um, you end up having to pay um, the difference between what you've the, the lower rate that you've been offered on your borrowing and and the and the sort of rate you would have paid you have to pay the difference into uh, into a charity of uh, agreed choice which is an interesting approach um i think that is going to be changing well i looked at some um, in in terms of the focus on this i looked at uh, something msci put together they they published a paper last month called breaking down real estate net zero targets and they were looking at the strategies being adopted by funds around decarbonization now this is the driver for this in terms of that green finance piece it's the institutional money and the, uh, you know, the the professional investor money um, um, that that's getting you know increasingly serious about ESG because they're being required to report ESG numbers. And if you can't deliver on those ESG numbers, you're either going to pay more or just as likely not get any finance at all. Because um, so it's got how this evolves is going to be quite interesting in a sector like ours which is still overwhelmingly very fragmented and it's the challenge for the smaller operators in reporting this um, is just going to tilt the the table even further against them if they can't get access to this uh, cheaper money so there's a, there's a bunch of stuff going on here I think which is um, going to be very interesting as it evolves I mean and a final um, point I think that's worth making is is what you referenced there Chris in terms of getting on with it and uh, uh, re re repeated references to marginal gains mm. and uh, Sir Dave Brailsford the former head of British Cycling who's famous for for taking British Cycling from sort of no hopers to sort of world beaters I mean he took over in 2002 and uh, we went from a position of not doing anything at all to being world leaders within a few few years and he said that the focus had to be yet to break down everything you were doing and you focus on just making a small tiny improvement in as many of those different constraints
constituent parts as you possibly can and they all add up to something meaningful and I think this is a good way of approaching the overall uh, uh, ESG while in particular the sort of decarbonisation process break down what it is where all your different processes this needn't be a super expensive exercise but to your point Chris I think this is something which can be undertaken now people can start looking at this and start doing something about it and start understanding it and just raising consciousness levels about it within the organization and you can actually start making some sort of sensible progress with this just just that you know um uh, improving a bit of recycling here um um, cutting down a bit of energy juice energy use there you know there's all these these, these small things which can make uh, you know um, quite a big difference you, you know you can have a have have a, a thing that automatically turns the the lights out as people particularly in communal areas and stuff like that the, these are all important things which uh, can you know we can make progress on and um, quite quickly without costing the earth i say without costing the earth um but uh yeah so i i I think this is something which is going to evolve and continue um developing and uh, you know i it gives you know i i think it's important that this debate is that people engage in this debate in a at a sensible level this is you know i I get somewhat you know this cannot be business is never going to just be about green you're never going to succeed at business simply because you're green but um to be successful you also are going to have to have um to be green as well um and if you want to get sort of deeply philosophical about it i mean it, it, it is you know people always that they rail against milton friedman um and he said the only purpose of business is to make money for shareholders but i think if you read Friedman properly what he's sort of saying also is that you can uh, that is your main purpose but you do so within um, uh, appropriate environments in terms of legal and and cultural environments and I think here what we are seeing is a clear shift in that uh, legal and cultural environment towards uh, a, a more greener future and I think businesses that are going to be delivering on that purpose of maximizing shareholder returns have to be engaged with this process now we're going to look as i promised or indeed threatened uh, more at some of the uh, big hotel group results and grouping up uh, the two franchise players Wyndham and choice who both delivered really strong 2021 results uh, it was almost like the pandemic for them was already over um, now choice obviously has a very much a u.s oriented portfolio Wyndham is a much more globally balanced business but even their ceos i think were surprised by how well they'd done and in you know some large areas of their business uh, the metrics are already exceeding their the t- 2019 comparable figures um, I think a lot of this is down to the fact that uh, they did sharpen up their operation during the pandemic uh, Wyndham in particular seems to be doing very well in pulling more business through its uh, app it's it's launched a very successful uh, loyalty program and those things are helping to drive more direct business um, both the groups have actually been doing so strongly recently that they've been um, quietly disposing of some of the uh, tattier hotels in their franchise portfolios. Um, that's a sign of uh, real confidence. Um, and, and as Choice 
mentioned in their uh, presentation of their results. They're, they're doing so quite confident that they'll be able to sign another one down the road or even across the same town um, with a new build uh, which will probably deliver them twice as many fees um, in a year or two's time when it's been built. So uh, pandemic, what pandemic? Seem like they're going like trains these two. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and I think it shows the strength of the the franchising business model, um, and and its huge appeal to um, uh, its shareholders um, because it's throwing off cash. It's fantastic return on equity. Um, it, it, it really does look a very powerful business model indeed. And as you point out Chris I think both Wyndham and Choice have done some work have taken the opportunity to to clear up some of their estates um, and they're working hard at uh, I mean you know to be fair to both that uh, that was already underway notably Wyndham I mean flogged off the Knights Inn brand back in 2018 to Red Lion um, and that was part of the process of getting rid of that very bottom end stuff and it's painful let me just talk to ihg who've spent 10 years trying to clean up ho holiday inn estates and, yeah. and as a result taking a big hit to their net unit growth as a result of that but um i think a lot of that's behind them now and they're very focused on 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 um growth and you know focused on that you know for both companies um a they're 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 both overwhelmingly franchised in choices case entirely franchised and something like 97 percent for Wyndham um, in terms of franchising um, so the fantastic positioning um, from from that point of view but also they're they're their focus towards the select serve and increasingly the extended stay markets um, both of which had a comparatively very good um, period during the pandemic and the and the ensuing lockdowns um, and as you know as we come out of this um, uh, pandemic also they're in a good position because one of the big challenges facing operators is this, yeah, this labor and they cost. don't have too much labor um, in any of their hotels by much they no, no. I mean, um, Wyndham Spilotti talked about this, and he said that uh, on average in the US, labour costs are uh, about 35% as a share of hotel revenue uh, for the industry as a whole, but for the economy and mid-scale select-serve hotels, just 12%. So that, that's a huge um, advantage there in for economy and mid-scale hotels and of course with um, extended stay the most resilient of of the segments I mean there's a massive opportunity and um, I mean he he it was teasing people as you refer to it in your your report Chris re teasing people on the conference call um, uh, about this new economy extended stay brand that mm. they're going to be introducing and and that's probably not going to be meaningful in terms of uh, system growth for a good couple of years or so. But nonetheless, it, it's it, it's going to give them a great, I think, fantastic uh, area to to, to develop um, into. Um, and you know that that it, it very much is in the areas that people are most excited about right now. To another couple of uh, sets of results which came out recently, but more importantly, perhaps what the CEOs were saying about where things go next. Um, I'm talking about uh, uh, Intercontinental and uh, Accor. Uh, so we heard from uh, Sebastian Bazan, famously reflective at Accor, and also heard from uh, Keith Barr of Intercontinental. Um, aside from uh, looking through last year's results, uh, what I felt was quite, well, quite interesting was how they both see the return or not 
of, uh, of, of the business traveller. Um, now Bazan has been uh, notably pessimistic about the return of business travel uh, over the last year or two, consistently saying he thinks it's going to be perhaps 25% down uh, on, on previous levels. He's convinced everyone loves Zoom and Teams and they're not going to get uh, get on a plane and go and do those business trips the same way they used to. Um, but uh, and Keith Barr, well, also sees perhaps, but I think he's a bit more optimistic about things and he certainly uh, is seeing and hearing about bookings of major corporate events and so on, which perhaps give him more confidence. But both of them are talking about this kind of the blending of, of business and leisure, um, Bar's uh, example was of a company that uh, is going to bring all its uh, all its staff together, but then give them an extra day uh, at the at the city location for leisure after the end of their their business uh, conference. Um, uh, at at Accor, Bazan was talking more about uh, people typically booking to have long weekends away and working as they work uh, a shorter number of days in the office during the week, and and he they both see that kind of the two things may well balance out if not ultimately put their hotels in a stronger position overall um andrew discuss <laughs> yeah i mean well we've talked at length about the whole business travel piece and uh you know our standing um position on this is that you know if if you look at every single technological development it has ultimately led to more business travel that rather than less so it, it's very difficult to buy into uh bazan's vision i mean i think the w one meaningful head fit um headwind that we haven't historically had is esg as we've just been talking about um that will bear down a little bit but uh i i still struggle to see the level of impairment that uh bazan is fear, fearing um i mean that they, they had a slide in the accor uh presentation from oxford tourism economics and this had international business travel still 20 percent below 2019 levels um by the end of 2024 which is you know exceptionally pessimistic i think and uh, um I, I i just really struggle with that now i mean you know we can all there can be some major exogenous events um i think we're about to talk about what's going on in the ukraine at the moment um clearly this can really just uh, you know prove that these these cassandra's right but uh um my own sense no um and our standing position on this is that no i think i think it's going to come back pretty good um and i took um in my remark in my comments um for our uh uh, online piece um, for subscribers. I, I, I look more at uh, Accor, and there's a certain puzzle with Accor. Why it, it <laughs> is always still a puzzle with Accor. in terms of its share price? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you know, as Hilton's roaring away, it's something like 25% up on where it was pre-pandemic. Yet Accor is still below, well below its previous highs. I mean. Uh, IHE isn't great, but it, it, it's you know it, it's it's doing better than Accor for sure. Um, I mean, part of it is I think um, Bazan is doing yeah. his best to sort of yeah. talk the market down for some reason. I don't I don't get that. I, I don't quite understand his the logic there. I mean, they kind of you know that that Oxford Tourism Economics slide I've just mentioned. They try to use that saying, look, um, actually by 2024, although international business travel is still going to be really bad um what we're going to see is a huge leisure recovery but of course you know how everybody looks at that slide they think
think, oh, international business travel is going to mm. be really bad. <laughs> That's all they see. They don't see the, the recovery in leisure travel that is actually going to overtake and replace um, the lost um, international business travel. Um, and I think that messaging piece um, <laughs> needs some work, actually, at Accor. Um, and, you know, how they're going to... Because I, th I think people are just focused on that, that negative piece coming through. Um Similarly, uh, he got very hot. In this is mm. Sebastian Bazan again. Got very hot under the collar about the whole mm. net unit growth thing, um, saying how, oh, you know, this is a rubbish <laughs> metric. It it doesn't work. You know, we, you, you should be focused on how much profit um, you know a new contract brings. Yeah, up to a point, I think you know it's a bit like Revpar. I mean, Revpar really isn't very great, but it's a good indicator mm. of what the momentum is. And Nug, in same way, it's a very straightforward. And good indicator of what the momentum is if you know what the you know if the system size is growing you know that uh, that is it, that a company is adding to its uh, um earnings um and and you can debate you know that all we you know, should be focused on the fact that we're bringing you know more upscale earnings which deliver more per room than the than the franchised hotels but at the same time i think this highlights a problem that um accor has which is that uh, it's very focused on management unlike its global major peers um so if, if we um look at uh you know how what proportion this is just franchised hotels individual unit hotels not room counts but um individual franchised hotels 88 percent at hilton are franchised 84 percent at ihg are franchised 72 percent at marriott and just 54 percent at accor and in fact if you go by room count just 40 percent um at accor are franchised um investors like franchising as we've just talked about in reference to Wyndham and uh, choice um, because of that greater return on equity they see it as a higher quality earnings delivery um, and so ironically what Accor is doing by highlighting this all nuggies rubbish kind of I think it's, it's highlighting again a, a negative it has which is this it, it's it's too uh, management heavy relative to its global peers um, um, and the thing is that this only leads to a perception of Accor, uh, of Accor being a laggard generally um, you know there's a there's a problem in terms of how it was uh, you know it's been very slow to switch mm -hmm. into the asset light piece I mean it's still got to deliver on the sale of Mantra fully exit of Mantra's leases and it's still got a big stake in Accor Invest um, which means it is not you know true um, asset light um, it's going to do the mantra thing the Accor invest stake is a more interesting um, piece I think where that goes um, it's perceived as a laggard in terms of its loyalty scheme I think which is fair because it has been pretty poor with its loyalty scheme and is genuinely way behind its global major peers um, it's seen as being a laggard in terms of OTAs it's it's got the biggest exposure it's got its biggest share taken by OTAs of, of the global majors and in terms of the fight back um, so it's got all of these issues I think um, where it's seen as as being behind its rivals but 
the thing where it's way ahead of its rivals and it ought to be shouting about uh, more than it is i mean the thing, thing it, it's currently shouting about is look, look you know look at our fantastic uh, uh mm. boutique hotel exposure but it's not you know it's not huge in terms of uh, you know what that delivers to the the bottom line um it's good that accor is and has that but you know investors are more interested in what's going on with the bulk of the business and in fact accor is is you know ought to be fantastically well positioned to be europe's franchising giant i mean it's very much got the platform for doing that i mean ibis as a brand is twice the size of the next biggest hotel brand in europe which is holiday Inn express so i mean it's still you know its market share is still small it's barely depending on what number how you define hotel rooms it's sort of barely two percent of of europe's hotel room stock but uh, uh it is still in you know it has the strongest position um and accor itself uh, you know a, as a company is uh yeah 40 percent of its room stock is economy and uh, a third is mid-scale it's still very heavy um exposure to these what you know as we've just said with choice and Wyndham very strong performing segments um in addition to that it's got a half stake in Adagio which is the market leader in Europe in extended stay so there's lots to shout about with Accor but it doesn't seem to be interested in talking about those and it and it, it's making uh, you know a lot of noise about <laughs> sort of the glossier end which I I just don't think investors are that excited about so I, I think they need maybe just you know um focus on the knitting as it were to focus on the bit that um um Accor has already delivered on which is this fantastic exposure in in economy and mid-scale and and in extended stay um what's not to like about that let's hear a bit more about that in the future investor presentations and a bit less pessimism about business <laughs> and talking about pessimism in, in in travel we are turning our attention to our no star and five star awards for this week so andrew i think it's fairly clear where the no star award will be delivered this week yeah i mean it's very difficult when you have such a huge thing um as as what's going on right now in the ukraine and it, and it, and it's uh you know I'm, I'm always reluctant for us to sort of engage with this in a, a, a directly because it would whatever we say is that you know it's mm, way above yeah. our pay grades chris to be frank you know in terms of you know the discussion here this is a major geopolitical event and uh you know there are better places to to hear information on that um what i would say is that um it is clearly going to be a huge impact on on travel um i mean uh, uh, something that just popped into my inbox um ahead of recording of this podcast on wednesday um was that uh, the unwto the world uh, tourism organization they're actually going to discuss expelling russia from it which just shows how how dramatic this has become i mean this is really cold war two if we're going into um if you want a positive spin on it i would suggest that um actually uh it, the, the sector is very resilient to these sort of shocks and recovers quite quickly from them um it probably um and so far hasn't actually been that much of a shock um the outbound market the outbound russian market is not that important to most of the major markets i mean it, it, it's important to uh places like dubai i mean i think it's sort of number two at times it's been number one in the Dubai market so that will take some of the 
the sheen off that market i think not so much because you know unlike say europe and uh, the us which in north america um um, which are completely banning um, all flights uh, to and from for Russia. I mean, Russians are still going to be able to travel to Dubai, but I think um, given the huge devaluation of their currency, I think it's going to significantly constrain their outbound travel appetite. So I think you're going to have these these kind of things going on. But because this is all, you know, uh, almost re won't say relevant but it, it it's certainly um very small potatoes relative to the terrible human tragedy that's actually occurring right now in ukraine um and this is where you know our thoughts and attention is very much with even if you know as specialists in writing about hotel investment it's it's it, it's a trickier area to to make meaningful comment on but i think an area where we can talk about something well, is well, um, yeah, the five star five award chris with my hand it to you uh, Michael Widman of uh, PKF, uh, Hotel Experts, um, who has led a, an initiative to help deliver uh, spare capacity hotel rooms to Ukrainian refugees to just give them a bit of a breather on their way out of the country. Uh, a very uh, brave and um, uh, very, very enterprising initiative, basically asking hotels in the surrounding countries if they can spare a few rooms for a few nights to allow the the exhausted individuals to get their heads down uh, get their breath back and um, plan what they're going to do next so um, well done to Michael and all those who are supporting him uh, the initiative uh, is called hospitality helps and uh, I think you can find out about it via various social media platforms if you are interested in supporting in some way so uh, well done for that uh, once again hospitality sector showing it can help out uh, in some way in a, in a crisis and on that hmm? yeah absolutely and it just shows how how embedded the sector is really with in in the local communities it serves it, it's uh, both the, it's global i mean it's a source of a refuge for uh, for global travelers but also it's and embedded on that in local note, communities we'll say too goodbye for now